Welcome to uh, Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. I'm Joe Works in Elmira, New York. Uh, we are continuing our studies. Uh, we've been studying through the fruit of the spirit. We finished that last week, and so we're going to uh, change uh, direction a little bit and begin uh, looking at some various individuals in Scripture and seeing what we can learn from them. Uh, joining me, uh, as usual, Chase Byers and Jeff Smelser. Hello, guys. Hey, good afternoon. Hey, everyone. Good to see you. And so uh, as we think about wanting to study different individuals in uh, scriptures, um, there is an unlimited, practically, uh, number of people that is that we could study, that we could think about, that we could benefit from. One of the things that I'd be interested from, can't make any promises, but if you're listening and want to comment either on the Zoom app or on the, the Facebook Live, uh, on Jeff's uh, Facebook post, um, if you have some individuals that you would be interested in us studying, uh, please uh, put those in the comment section. Uh, be, I would really be curious to know uh, which people in the Bible you find intriguing or challenging to, to study from, either ones that you've studied from and benefited of, or ones that you've really not studied, but you think maybe it would be helpful to. Um, go ahead, Chase. Yeah. Hey, I just wanted to say real quick, um, in the adult class with the congregation I worship with, we've been going through character studies and uh, different men have been signing up to talk about them and they've each been picking different characters. And I put a little bit of thought just into the benefit, uh, the sheer benefit of studying just a character in the Bible. Um, I think it's just worth noting that these are real people. They're real, just like me and you um, and even Jeff. And so it's really important that we take time to read their stories. I mean, that's really the whole point of Hebrews 11. I know we did a whole series on Hebrews 11 a while ago where he's talking to Christians who are of the Jewish race, and he's saying to them, hey, you can have faith like all of these people. Remember their stories? If those were all fake, it would negate his entire point. And so you were supposed to learn from their stories of faith and look to them. And so they were just easily relatable, and you were supposed to be able to see yourself or your situation in those stories. So it's really beneficial to just look at one character. Um, you can see growth. I think about like Peter and Judah and David and Abraham, but you can also see decline, like Samson and Samuel and many of the kings in the book of Chronicles. And so there's just so much added benefit to studying the Bible this way. Um, and so just from the outset of what possibly might be another series, I just wanted to note the benefit of studying biblical characters like this. You know, I, I really agree. I think um, on, on a lot of levels, it's very helpful to study a character and see the person, the, the individual as a real person, but but just one, maybe maybe this is superficial, but just when you study a character and you get to know this as a person, then any context in which he's being mentioned, his personality it comes across to you as you know this guy, and what that does for you is then the story in which he's involved or the, the passage you're reading and you're encountering him here, now this passage becomes more meaningful because the person involved in, in what's being narrated is somebody you know. And, and now that that passage is more meaningful, you remember it better, 
that that then helps you to understand it better and and you just understand the whole story better or the whole narrative whatever's going on because you know that person involved in it i think that's really true yeah absolutely and and the holy spirit has placed uh these storylines in the 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 accounts uh there must be a purpose for that you know, we're not just told checklists of things to do or not do and that sort of thing, uh, but we're given uh, these uh, different events in people's lives over the span, sometimes of their whole life, and uh, certainly that calls, that, that needs to uh, call our attention to those people and, and learn from them, the good and the bad. And so uh, I think we would all agree that it's an encouraging thing to do to uh, study these uh, individuals, and uh, that is my purposeful segue into the one study this afternoon. Barnabas, if you want to be opening your Bibles to the book of Acts, you can follow along with us the story of uh, this man, Barnabas. As I think about Barnabas and uh, the various passages that we find him in, Acts 4, Acts 9, Acts 11, Acts 13, 14, 15, um, he really plays an important role, and outside of the original apostles and Paul, he may be one of the most uh, important individuals in the, the first century in the early church. Yeah, he's one of the writers of the New Testament. Well, okay, I I, <laughs> I said that just to to get a right to get you know get your attention, but but I am inclined to think that he's as good a candidate for the authorship of the book of Hebrews as anyone. Uh, I, I I would agree. Uh, I I would not argue it, but uh, uh, I would also um, uh, certainly be uh, inclined to think that it, he would be on the short list of of those that I would uh, list as as possibilities. But, but, you have more wisdom and maturity than to just throw that out there like that when we don't really know, right? Well, I, that goes without saying, but still. <laughs> um, so <laughs> the wisdom and maturity are not used uh, usually in the same context as me, but yeah. Um, so again, if you're, if you're listening in, we're going to talk about Barnabas, but if you have some others that come to mind, some other people, Old Testament and New, New Testament, uh, other people in the scriptures, please... Um, Jot those down in the comment section. Maybe we can uh, uh, entertain a study of those later on some other time. So Barnabas, that's not his real name. Um, uh, what's his real name? You guys remember? Joseph. Joseph. I beat you to it. Yeah. And so um, <laughs> that's another reason why I personally like studying him because my name is Joseph. And I just think I want to be a better Barnabas. Um, uh, thinking about getting a nickname, um, uh, you know, nicknames sometimes are flattering, sometimes they're not, you know, whether it's uh, Snowflake or Boomer or whatever the case might be, um, uh, you know, sometimes people like their nicknames, sometimes they don't, sometimes they're meant as a compliment, sometimes they're not. Certainly Barnabas is intended to be a, a great compliment. Um, it is describing his character, his personality, and the word Barnabas, uh, one of you guys want to uh, jump in here and explain the significance of that word? Well, Barnabas is from Bar and Nabas, and I don't know Aramaic, but Bar would be the word for son of, and Nabas must, must mean something like exhortation and encouragement because, no, am I going the wrong way? 
No, you, you, you are correct. That's what it came to mean. I think it, from what I studied at one point was that novice originally had the idea of like prophecy. Is that um, well? Okay. So that's interesting because um, that, huh? Okay. Well, I, Joe is our resident Greek scholar. So I, I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't question him on this. Jeff. So I, 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 all I'm doing is recalling from memory something that somebody else wrote. Uh, so I'm not a I'm not a scholar or an expert on that. But I think it is significant that we could tie together the idea of prophecy and exhortation yeah. or encouragement. Uh, those so things I'm, are related. I'm just looking at some notes and some Greek tools I have, and uh, it, it that word nabe um, looks like it's actually a Hebrew word. It, it means a prophet or inspired man, um, prophecy that prophesied prophet. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, and, and, and so it is from the scriptures that we gain encouragement. Um, uh, you know, that idea is brought forth concerning Jesus um, in the prophecies that were listed in Luke 2. Um, uh, you know, from uh, him being the word, we, we gain encouragement, the world gains encouragement, and so forth. So, um, but by the, at least by the time the, of the New Testament, of the book of Acts, it, it has this meaning of encouragement. And so bar, son of, son of encouragement is the way it's translated in just about every Bible. Uh, something to that effect, verse 36, encouragement or consolation. Um, and so was his dad's name uh, Novice? Uh, you know, he's he called this by the apostles. Right. So this doesn't seem to be a patronomic. This seems to be uh, a nickname given to him by the apostles because of the character that they saw in him. Exactly. It's as if his dad, if encouragement could be personified, if encouragement were a person, what kind of child would that person encouragement bear? So let me give you guys a, a little uh, story here. And you guys will know... Um, you don't know this guy, but you know some of the guys involved. You, you know a young man named Tristan, and um, let's see who else, maybe Eli, you know some of those young guys. These are guys in a, in a Bible class I teach on Sunday morning, and it's um, mostly just guys. We've got the groups divided uh, at the high school age, one class for girls, one class for guys, and uh, we, we were going through the book of Acts, and we got to Acts 4, and we, we introduced Barnabas, and we were looking at his name, and I just asked the guys, I said, um, of everybody in the congregation here, who's somebody that you just think of as being an encouraging person, somebody that you just might, you might give them that, that nickname, and simultaneously, they all pointed at, at, I don't know if he's the oldest guy in the group, but he's kind of a, he's, he's a role model in that group, he, a young man named Wesley, and they all pointed at him. And I thought that was so interesting because they all saw this older high school student as being somebody they looked up to and he was encouraging them and, and setting a tone. And, um, and so ever since then, they now call him Barney. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that, is, that is very cool uh, to, to think about sort of this unanimous uh, view of him. And that seems to be the case here with uh, Joseph in Acts 4, where he gets this nickname from the apostles. I mean, that's pretty tremendous to, to think about the apostles giving. And that's the way that he is known 
for the rest of the New Testament. For the, all of the, you know, it, he's never called by his his real name, his given name for the rest of the book of Acts that I'm aware of. And in the couple of places where you find him listed in the letters to the Christians, he's called Barnabas. Um, uh, you know, he becomes this encourager all the way through. And one of the neat things in, in my mind in studying his, his life is to see that encouragement is something that he has within him, and so it comes out both in words and in deeds. And I think that's a that's a helpful lesson for me to think about encouraging people. Sometimes we think of encouraging somebody by you know, hey, have you lost weight? Oh, you know, you your your haircut looks really nice, or you know, whatever the case. And uh, that's not the kind of superficial encouragement we're talking about. We're talking about spiritual encouragement which is so much more profound and long-lasting. And so when we have opportunities to be around people, that's what we ought to be thinking about is, how can I give them courage? You know, the, the idea of encourage or discourage, the common word there is courage. And so we are either putting courage in somebody or we're taking courage out of them. And uh, we, we want them to have that moral fortitude, strength, um, uh, and, and we can instill that in them by the things that we say and the things that we do. And Barnabas is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. So how about we jump into the text here? So one of you all like to read chapter four, verses 32 through 37? Sure. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so you have this fellow, and much of this we've already talked about, that he's this encourager, verse 36. In this text, what is it that he's doing that seems to be tied together to him being this encourager? Uh, what aspect of encouragement would you guys uh, describe here? Well, he, he gives, he sells a piece of land, which he owns and gives it to the apostles to then distribute to other people. And so you can see the selfless nature, one, and just being willing to sell his property. And, you know, I've not thought about this before. You know, sometimes you read over something a thousand times, you don't think about it. So if he's of Cyprian birth, he's from Cyprus. And um, we don't exactly know where this tract of land was. Maybe it was there in Jerusalem. But just thinking about him being willing to give up a piece of land is very admirable in the first place. Um, and then two, to just be willing to give that money to the apostles and say, do with it what you guys think is best, uh, shows a lot of humility on his part. He doesn't micromanage where the money goes. I mean, granted, he's giving it to the apostles. He can trust them. But it just goes to show the giving nature of this, of this guy. Well, there's also this, this fact. It, it appears in the text there were a number of disciples who were doing this, but for some right. reason, Luke singles out Barnabas. And, mm -hmm. and of course, what we see in the next chapter is uh, Ananias and Sapphira see that people are getting credit 
for doing this. And, and they want in on that credit, but they want in on the credit more than they're actually going to deserve. But the, the point I want to get at is why, as Luke tries to make the point, people are, are doing this and they're thought well of, they're being commended for doing this. And then Aquila and Priscilla, I mean, I mean Ananias and Spira, uh, then are, are seen as the counterpoint. Why pick out Barnabas to, to make this point? And I think the reason Luke does that is because we are going to see Barnabas. And as we see Barnabas in the ensuing chapters, we're going to see this character demonstrated, exemplified repeatedly, this encouraging character. And so of all the disciples that uh, he could have picked out, he picks out Barnabas because we need to know about Barnabas. He's going to be very much involved in, in the work that's going to continue throughout the book of Acts. And because we're going to see this character demonstrated. So I, I think that's what's going on here. I think that's right. This is just the introduction to him that then Luke is going to weave into the, the rest of this book uh, and to show that this character is not limited to just financially helping people who are in need. Although, is that not, it, even just in and of itself, tremendously encouraging? Um, uh, you know, uh, I've been in contact with various people in, uh, in, the, uh, in helping what's going on in Bowling Green and especially in Mayfield, Kentucky, uh, after those tornadoes last week and the, the, the terrific dan uh, damage that was done. And the amount of people who are sacrificing and sending goods and donating, uh, it's just tremendously encouraging. You know, when, mm -hmm. when you see people that, that immediately open their wallets and, and are willing to help people who are in need, that's a, that is a form of encouragement. Yes. Um, and so we ought not to miss that point. And going with that, in Bowling Green, I know uh, I saw an email recently from someone that works with the churches down there, and they'd mentioned that some of the churches there, they don't even need outside support, but they are able to take care of their own uh, just with the funds that they have as a local church, which is so encouraging that their local members are stepping up and are able to take care of those that are needy. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to add that in there as well as being a Kentucky native, just thinking about how encouraging those churches down there are in their ability to take care of everybody. Amen. And, and so that's just a really practical way when you see somebody that's in need. And I mean, that's you look at Matthew 25, that's one of the lengthier texts describing the final judgment, verses 31 through 46. And it's helping people in need. I was hungry and thirsty, and you know that that context there. Um, that that's encouraging. We we have a duty to help other people who are in need, both physically and certainly spiritually. A lot of other passages would uh, would point to that as well. But yeah. you just see him not caring as much about this world. Uh, he's willing to give up his own land to help other people. The next place that we see him, we kind of jump a few chapters, and it's almost like we're, we're not going to come back to him, but we turn our attention to there's some other needs in Acts chapter 6. There's some widows that are in need. So men are chosen. Amongst those men are Stephen and Philip. Stephen then is stoned in chapter 7. In the beginning of chapter 8, this great persecution starts with a man named Saul. And because of that persecution, uh, he gets favor from the religious leaders, 
is going to go out and try to persecute more Christians beyond all the way to Damascus. He meets the Lord on the road, uh, finds himself in Damascus, having a repentant heart, and is baptized into Christ. And then he eventually returns to Jerusalem. And in Acts, the ninth chapter, uh, let's read here verses 26 through 30. One of you guys want to read that? Acts 9, 26 through 30. Got it. And when he, Saul, was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, or an old, a newer translation, I guess, would say he attempted to join himself to the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them going in and going out at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spake and disputed against the Grecian Jews, but they were seeking to kill him. And so you have this mention in verse 27 that Barnabas takes Saul and, and I just sort of see him, you know, walking up and putting his arm around Saul, you know, or, you know, uh, laying his hand on him or something and saying, hey, guys, let me explain what's happened. And how he knows what has taken place, I don't know whether God has revealed that to him or the, the time between Saul's conversion and coming to Jerusalem. Uh, Barnabas has been a witness to some of that. I, I don't know the details to that. But whatever it is, Barnabas really sticks his neck out here. I yeah. mean, Saul is a murderer of one of the members. He is, Saul is the one who has drugged men and women out of their houses and, uh, uh, you know, caught, wreaked havoc on the church, Acts 8. And now Barnabas is like, hey, guys, let's give him another chance. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, no, I'm, I, I'm convinced he is one of us. Wow. Yeah. I he, would like to think that I would have done that, but I don't know. He, he, he vouches for him. And he does so, as you, as you say, in a situation where he's really sticking his own neck out. Uh, not on that same level, but maybe on a lesser level, we can do something similar. We're not vouching for somebody who's killed the people that, that we're introducing this murderer to, but you might be in a situation where you're, in, you're, you're coming into your Sunday morning assembly and uh, a visitor comes in, and, and you know how it is when you're, the, when you're the new person in any setting. You don't know anybody. You feel awkward. You feel uncomfortable, especially if you don't know what to expect. You don't know how things are going to go. Uh, you introduce yourself to that person, and then you take that person over, and you say, hey, let me introduce you to so-and-so. Somebody that you know will respond well, and, and, and you can make a connection there for them. It, it, it's not on the level that Barnabas was doing with Saul, given Saul's history here. But it's that kind of thing where we can be an encourager and we can help somebody feel comfortable, become acclimated, it can yield much fruit, good fruit. Absolutely. And, and, and maybe also think, and that's a great application that's probably presents itself to us on a semi-regular basis. That, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's really handy to have that sort of, oh, here's where I can put this into practice. Another place might be where somebody has wronged. Maybe they've wronged you. Maybe yeah. they've wronged somebody else in the congregation and they have come back. And, you know, a tendency of people is to, well, let's just wait and see. Have they really changed? And, 
you know, one of the things that they need is encouragement. Mm-hmm. You know, they're probably already beating themselves up. You certainly know that Saul was. You know, it, it's wearing on him. We read when he wrote to Timothy that he was a blasphemer and a murderer and an insolent man. He knew that he had done wrong. He doesn't need people to say, prove yourself first. You know, um, uh, he needs somebody to, to, to stand with him, to, to stand beside him. And when people have done wrong and uh, maybe they've done us wrong or we've seen them do wrong, man, Look how much the Lord has done that for me. <laughs> the Lord didn't just write me off, um, and, and we need to make sure we don't do that to others. Chase? Yeah, I was just going to say, you look out at any congregation, and you have all kinds of folks in a church. And it would have been the same case here in Jerusalem. I, I realize um, that the case at this point, you probably don't have Gentiles as Christians yet as much as you have Gentiles that are proselytes that have become Christians. But nonetheless, you have people from different backgrounds, different nations, different economical um, circumstances. It's a very diverse church. And we worship in diverse churches now. Um, And sometimes we need to be the Barnabas that steps in and says, look, I know they come from a different background, but it's our responsibility to bond with them and it's our responsibility to love them and to get along with them and be close with them. They need to become some of our best friends. And that can be hard. But if you can be the person that bridges the gap between two different groups of people in your local congregation, you're doing exactly what Barnabas would set out to do at the local church there in Jerusalem. Um, and so it really doesn't matter the local congregation, even if it's all the same race of people, you still have cliques and different people from different backgrounds. It's inevitable of any group of people. Um, a Barnabas steps in and he breaks down, so breaks down those barriers, puts his arm around the new guy and says, here, let me show you around to a few people. And that's why it's so beneficial to, to know your brethren. Um, this is something I, I try to do in, in our local congregation is when a new person is visiting with us or someone I've been studying with or someone that's moved into the area starts worshiping with us, I will quickly try to figure out what kind of person they are, what their background is, maybe some things that they struggle with or have struggled with. And I immediately try to think of who in this congregation is like the same person or has, has experienced the same thing. And I try to get those two folks together. Um, and so a, a Barnabas sees those kind of things, wraps his arm around people and introduces them to people. And I think we have a culture in, in American churches where a visitor comes in and we're, we're just kind of standoffish because it's awkward. Um, we got we to gotta break through that if we want to be a Barnabas. Most of us have been in a setting where we've walked into a room and we don't know people or we're uncomfortable. And when that first person comes to us, it, it means a lot. Um, uh, and we ought to seek to be that first person when, when possible. And, and Chase, you know, you talk about finding somebody who has something in common with this person, and I do the same thing, but, you know, maybe one of the keys here is helping that person understand that we all have the same thing in common. We yeah, are amen. all people yeah. who have sinned against the God who created us and need his forgiveness. And, you know, that was Saul. And so Barnabas could could look at the things Saul has done and say, you know what, um, he's been forgiven. I've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. We're all in the same boat here. And he can help everybody see that. And, and especially when we start talking about uh, a newcomer into our assemblies, 
if it's somebody who's not a Christian, he's in the same boat we used to be in, and he can he he needs the same thing that we we've, we've received. Um, and so I think that's part of the key too. No doubt. And so the church continues to grow. Uh, it spreads beyond Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, the, uh, do you have something else before we go on, Jeff? Well, just to, as a segue into where you're going next, in Acts 9, the very next verse says, when the brethren knew it, that the Jews were seeking to kill Saul, uh, when the brethren knew it, um, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Now, Tarsus is up in the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea, and that's where Saul was from. So basically, Saul goes back to his hometown. Yep. And which is, which is going to lead into what you're about to say. Yeah. And so the gospel has been spreading. It's going to other places. And uh, in Acts 11, then beginning in verse 19, those who had been scattered because of that persecution of Saul back in chapter seven and eight, um, they go preaching. But when they get to Cyprus and Cyrene and to Antioch, they're preaching to the, the Hellenists as well. And uh there's a new congregation is started then in Antioch. And the apostles hear about this uh, new congregation. They're like, you know, somebody ought to go up there and, and help these new Christians. Uh, who should we send? And they kind of look around and, hey, let's send Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the idea. They, they, they're like, who would be the one who could strengthen, who could help these individuals to, uh, to, to be on the right path, to, to, to continue serving the Lord. Well, it, it's rather obvious. Uh, verse 22, when news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And verse 23 is just amazing to think about in, in light of this guy's uh, uh, character, Acts eleven twenty three. When he came, Barnabas, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them that with part encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the lord um and so uh, he comes and i think one of the things about being an encourager is that we have to see with our spiritual eyes what he saw according to verse 23 is the grace of god now what what color is the grace of god how how tall is it you know, what, 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 does, what, what does the grace of God, what's its shape? What did he see? He saw souls that were saved. You know, he, he saw these people that had been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the grace of God. He saw individuals for whom Christ died. That's the grace of God. When we look at the members of our congregations, when we look at saints around us, we need to think, I'm seeing God's grace. And when we do that, we're going to treat people better. We're going to encourage them. Um, and, and maybe even before that, I should have noted, he was glad. You know, it should bring joy. When we, when, when we see God's grace manifested in, this life, in the lives of, of individuals, that should bring joy to us, and then we should encourage. And the text is very specific because it says that he encouraged them all. He didn't just encourage some of them. He encouraged them all. But what did he encourage them with? Hey, guys, you're really looking sharp. I like that robe you're wearing today. You know, have you lost weight? No. 
the text in Acts 11, 26 through 30, uh, excuse me, 19 through 26, is very consistent with what the encouragement is about. And I'll just mention these points here. At the end of verse 20, the people that came first, they were preaching the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them. When Barnabas came in verse 23, he encouraged them with the purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Verse 24, more people were added to the Lord. In verse 26, they were called Christians in Antioch. The encouragement needs to be spiritual. It needs to be based on the Lord. You know, when, when we're trying to encourage people, when we're trying to instill courage in them, it's not something that I'm going to give them. It's something the Lord is going to give them. And I just like the consistency. Practically every verse emphasizes some aspect of Jesus. And, and then uh, where did we say Saul was? Where did we leave off with Saul? Yeah, he'd been back in Tarsus. And so Barnabas goes around the corner of the northeastern corner of the Mediterranean Sea, gets Saul and brings him to help him in the work there at Antioch. I tell you what, that's one way you can be an encourager. When you can help somebody else, you can put somebody to work in the kingdom of God. When you can show somebody what they can do, when you see a need and you see a person who can help fill that need and put those two together. And so yeah. Barnabas does that. Joe, you mentioned a moment ago, you, I don't know if our listeners caught it, but you've a couple of times alluded to the fact that here in Acts chapter 9 and verse 23, uh, he encouraged them, or this translation says he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. And you emphasize that because he's the son of encouragement. Yeah, and and the word there is is the verb parakaleo, which is related to the noun paraklesis, which is the the word that's used back in Acts chapter four, where it explains the the significance of the name Barnabas. Yeah, he he does what he is. Uh, I don't know if that's good grammar or not, um, uh, but, but he encourages because he is an encourager. Um, and you even see the qualifications of a Barnabas in verse 24. The only way that you can be an encourager is to be a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Uh, you know, uh, the idea of being full of the Holy Spirit may have uh, some uh, New Testament uh, uh uh, limitations to it as far as being full of the Holy Spirit, but I think that it's more than just having miraculous gifts like uh, like he, he had at, at different points, um, because the qualifications that were given of the seven men uh, back in chapter seven, or excuse me, in chapter six, was that they be full of the Holy Spirit, and then hands were laid upon them later. I think the same thing is probably true with Barnabas, the idea of being full of the Holy Spirit, I think, is mainly just the idea of being full of God. You know, you're, you're filled with the Spirit. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit recently uh, at length. And, and so somebody that is full of the Holy Spirit is somebody who's going to pour forth God's Word, and they're going to be an encouragement when they do that. Yeah, to, 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 to be real specific here, what you're saying about this phrase, full of the Spirit, full... Um, there may be a specific way in which the people described this way in the New Testament were full of the Spirit. That is, there may be a working of the Spirit such that they were able to prophesy or they were able to 
uh, speak in tongues or heal the sick or whatever. But you're absolutely right. This phrase is not just meaning uh, that they could do some miracle. Uh, we don't see, you, you look at the church at Corinth, and they had spiritual gifts abundantly. And yet you don't, you don't see this phrase being used of somebody that you would think of as being characterized by the problems that you see in the church at Corinth. You don't see somebody there being described as full of faith and spirit. So I think you're right. It's, it's full of God, and God works in very different people's lives in different ways, different, different ways. And he may be working in these people in the first century, particularly through these gifts that empower them to do miraculous things. Um, but it's not just saying, hey, this guy could do some miracles. <clears throat> and so, uh, oh, go ahead, Chase. Oh, no, no, I didn't want to interrupt. If you had another thought on that. No, no, feel, feel sure. free. Well, I was just going to say, kind of touching on these qualities of Barnabas, the encouragers like Barnabas are doing things you wouldn't have thought of having done. Barnabas going to get Saul to bring him, you know, stuff like that. And um, when I think of encouragers in my life, uh, one that comes to my mind, which I know you two would echo, is Kelly Cook. And yeah. he encourages me in ways that I wouldn't have thought of encouraging someone else. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were down in Kentucky for Thanksgiving, and I was given an opportunity to speak for one of the congregations down there that Kelly Cook attends. And uh, I woke up, was going over my sermon notes before, the, before we went to the assembly that morning, and I get a text from Kelly that says, Morning, brother. Heard you were preaching at Oldham Woods. Thankful, uh, thankful for that, and have asked God to help you today. Look forward to seeing you and your family, Kelly. Wow. As I'm, as I'm looking over my notes, ready to go do this. And it's like, I, I have never went to a Sunday, like been preparing to go to church on a Sunday and thought about, you know, I'm going to text the preacher that morning and, and tell him I'm praying for him. And, you know, I'm thinking about, it. I just, I don't think like that. And I need to, I need to be better about that. And there are a litany of other ways Kelly has encouraged me or, or others like him where I wouldn't have even thought of it. And he's in a headspace that you can only describe as, as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Yeah. And that's where we need to get. So many of us are just so full of ourselves or so focused on our own issues, our own problems or our own pride or whatever. You kind of have to be out of yourself to be thinking those kinds of thoughts that uh, illustrated in the story told about Kelly there. You, you can't be a narcissist and, and end up with that kind of, of encouraging behavior and character. So let me shift gears here a little bit and say, but be careful, because while Barnabas has these tremendous qualities, sometimes we can let our guard down. And there's a, there's a sad text in Galatians, the second chapter, yeah. where Peter had, had fellowship with the Gentiles until some Jews came along, and then he separated himself and uh, made a distinction. And his hypocrisy had gone along so far that Paul says, so that even Barnabas, and, and that phrase just, it, it just pierces my heart that even Barnabas got caught up in that division. Um, you would not expect that of Barnabas. But sometimes even good men can be affected and influenced by other good men who uh, have a flaw. And so Peter is not acting as he should. I think about Galatians 2.13 or so. Um, uh, and 
Peter's not behaving as he should, and that affected even Barnabas. We have to be on our guard all the time. I am glad that what I view that is is like a blip. You know, that's not his character. That's not his lifestyle. He gets caught up in something he shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But, but, but it's not who he is as a general rule. So we, we need to, to beware uh, in all of this. So you got six minutes to get a lot of Barnabas's life and doings covered that we haven't yeah. talked about yet. And, and, and we won't. Uh, so, you know, we, we see that Barnabas was willing to give up his land in Jerusalem. He was willing to travel to Antioch, stayed there for a year, went and got help because he wasn't full of himself. And he realized he needed some help in the work. Gets Saul, comes back to Antioch. They're, they're there for a year. And then while they're there in Acts 13, verses 1 through 3, the Holy Spirit says, I want them to go somewhere else. And uh, so then they are sent out uh, by the Holy Spirit, Acts 13 and in verse 4. So we need to be willing to continue to be that encouragement. Maybe we've done that. Maybe we've moved and done that. We need to be willing to move and do that somewhere else. And it doesn't have to logistically move. We don't have to move our address every time. Maybe that is necessary, but not for everybody. But we need to be willing to go beyond just the ones that we've already helped. We need to be willing to help each and every person. I love the fact that Barnabas is actually identified as an apostle in Acts 14 and in verse 14. Um, I don't think he's an apostle like the original apostles, but he was one who was sent forth. And uh, we see that here in Acts 13 and in verse 4, he's sent forth by the Holy Spirit. Which is what the word apostle means. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, I jumped over that. Um, uh, You know, he was sent forth because of the quality of man that he was. Just really tremendous encouraging. You know, it had never struck me until just this moment as you're talking about this. The Holy Spirit said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work that I have uh, there unto I've called them. The Holy Spirit says, "I, I want these two guys to go together. Barnabas, Barnabas had previously spoken up for Saul. Barnabas had previously gone to Tarsus. Maybe he'd been pointed to do so by the Holy Spirit. Don't know. But he had previously gone to Tarsus, got Saul, brought him back to help him. And now the Holy Spirit sees the same thing. These two guys, these two guys should go together. And and, and sometimes, you know what, if, if we take the initiative and we, we, whatever it is, whether it's working with somebody or encouraging somebody, we take the initiative, though, to do something good in God's kingdom, and then God can say, "Hey, I can use that." Right. And so we got I, I just a say, couple. Oh, go ahead, Chase. Yeah. I just want to say about Barnabas real quick. Um, lost my train of thought. Oh, oh <laughs> sorry. It just—it's very interesting to me. Like in chapter four, as it mentions Barnabas, it, Luke could have very well let Barnabas take center stage, but it shifts to Saul, uh-huh. and. Barnabas seems to be kind of running in the background of Saul's trips and preaching and teaching. And you don't see a power struggle between the two. There is a disagreement and you might be wanting to get to that, but I just want to say like Barnabas seems to be a humble guy. He's not looking for credit. And that's just a really cool thing to see. That's all. And I think it's an excellent point that you see in chapters 13 and 14. He is not the chief speaker any longer, Uh, but they take along with him on that first journey, a man named John Mark who starts on the trip, but then he doesn't finish. He turns back and goes back to Jerusalem. As they're getting ready to start their second journey, their second trip in Acts, the 15th chapter, 
Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark with us, Acts 15, verses 36 through 41. Uh, Barnabas was determined to take John Mark in verse 37. Paul is just as determined not to take him, verse 38. They get into such a disagreement about it that they part ways, and Barnabas takes John Mark in verse 39. Um, you know, you look at that and you think, wow, Barnabas and Paul split over this. Barnabas is so sure, but I'm not at all surprised by that. Now, some people would say, well, it's because John Mark and Barnabas were cousins. We know that from Colossians, the fourth chapter. But I'm not so sure that that really works in John Mark's favor. Uh, sometimes we're the hardest on relatives. Um, uh, I, I don't see uh, any uh, nepotism or favoritism here. I just see Barnabas being consistent. You know, in Acts 9, we saw Barnabas stand up for somebody in spite of what they had done because they had changed. I think what we see here in Acts 15 is Barnabas sees that somebody can change. And I think the proof is in the pudding, because when we get to Colossians 4, we find that even Paul is commending John Mark. He speaks favorably of him. He is a useful person uh, for, for the work. But I think that's consistent with what we see in Barnabas. He's, he gives people second chances, whether it's financially, whether it's spiritually in repentance, whether it's regarding immaturity, perhaps, with John Mark. Um, uh, whether it's with people of a different nationality in, in Antioch, uh, Jew and Gentile or whatever, Barnabas is just constantly willing to give some other people second chances and, and encouraging them with that. Uh, second but Timothy, I was going to say Second Timothy 4 mentions John Mark being useful, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, but uh, Colossians 4 also mentions that Barnabas and John Mark are cousins. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and, and that, that Paul sees value in him there in, uh, in Colossians 4 as well. Okay. Uh, if he comes to you, welcome him. Um, Paul wasn't very welcoming of him in Acts 15, but later on in life, he says, welcome him. Maybe Paul has changed his view on it. Maybe John Mark has matured. I suspect it's some of both. Um, uh, but we need to be willing to encourage people for what maybe in spite of what they've done in the past, for what they can do in the future, we need to see that potential and help that along. We need to be sources of encouragement in every way. And this has been encouraging for me, guys. Thanks for uh, helping me walk through this guy's life. Um, may we become better Barnabases uh, and, and seek to encourage others ourselves. Any Anything else before we uh, close off this afternoon? Thank you, Joe. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And again, if you have some people that you would like for us to study, uh, let us know uh, in the comments section. Uh, please uh, share your thoughts with us. Thank you and have a good afternoon.